Good evening, great to see you. My name's Gareth, part of the team here, married um, way above my status um, to my delightful wife, um, Zoe, and um, it's a real privilege to be doing this um, together. Um, just want to say a couple of things, um, just in, in terms of um, just announcements. Um, we have got in an additional stock of books um, for, um, for the, the next couple of weeks, and two books that Zoe and I would want to thoroughly recommend. If you haven't got them, I would encourage you to have them, um, whether you're in leadership or not, or whether you think um, you're in leadership or not. I think these are really brilliant, practical discipleship um, books on ministry and the power of the Spirit. And the first one is Everyday Supernatural by Mike Pulavarchi of Soul Survivor. Um, I had the privilege um, of um, working at Soul Survivor for a number of years and being a part of Soul Survivor. Zoe was there as well. Um, unfortunately, we missed each other. Um, she went out on a date with my, house, my housemate, interestingly enough. Um, she didn't discover me um, until a little bit later. But we've both been a part of the Soul Survivor family and probably Mike Pulavarchi um, more than anyone um, I I know has probably taught me um, the most about um, how to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of the local church particularly. The other book that I'd recommend is Third Person, The Work of the Holy Spirit by John Peters. Um, someone else I've had the privilege of, of working with um, at St. Mary's um, Branson Square. John was um, my sort of incumbent when I was training to be a curate. Loved working with John. We've had him here um, speaking and teaching as part of Third Person. Um, I love the way that John speaks so frankly. And if you're a worship leader um, here, you really should get this book and read the chapter on worship and worship leaders because it's really helpful, particularly in the context of ministry um, in the power of the Spirit and, and helping people to encounter and to discover um, the presence of God. Um, so um, just recommend those. Jenny will be at the back. Um, how much are they, Jenny? Do we know? Uh, 9.99 or 8.99. Let's call it £20 for two, shall we? That works, doesn't it? So um, there you go. Thoroughly re um, recommend those. The other thing um, to mention, hopefully as you came in, you were handed one of these. Just a little bit of a booklet with notes to follow. You can scribble, draw pictures of me or whatever, or play notes and crosses, but hopefully it'll be helpful in terms of the flow of the sessions. And then as you leave, you'll be handed one of um, these little um, flyers, which is basically um, what we're saying at Trinity in terms of um, some of the general ministry guidelines here for the life of um, Trinity Church. So you'll get those as you leave. Um, the other thing to say, if you've, um, if you've not got a Bible, there are Bibles here at the front. Come and grab one. Um, we're going to be looking at um, Scripture together. We're going to be looking at the life and ministry of Jesus as... Um, Zoe said, so grab a Bible or turn it on, um, whichever is your fancy. Just in, the, in, in terms of context um, for these two evenings, it's important to say that um, we are firmly committed here at this church in um, seeing everyone both inside and outside of the church to become who God has created and called them to be in Christ Jesus. We truly believe that it's the mandate of the church to engage in the ministry of Jesus to see transformation in people's lives. And uh, we all have a part to play as that in the life of as, as Jesus follows. And as a church, we, we believe because we, we see it in Scripture that God is in the business of transforming lives and, in fact, transforming cultures um, as we see the kingdom of God advanced in our midst. 
You know, we, we are a church that firmly believe in the advancement of the kingdom of God and that, that it's Jesus who says, I will build my church. I think that's what Jesus said. Um, and he calls us and invites us to advance his kingdom on earth in the spheres of wherever we find ourselves, whether it's the University of Gloucester, whether it's at Superdry, whether it's in, in our legal firm, whether it's in our hospitals where we're working, or whether it's in, in education, wherever you find yourself, it is the Lord's call on all of us to advance the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at that um, in a minute. But one of the things that I think um, we truly believe here and has been a part of the growth of this church, in my view, and, and that is the, the importance of the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, creating space for the presence of God um, to be at work in and amongst our gatherings in the hope that what we learn in our worship gathering, we also take into our workplaces. Um, it's not to be kept inside the walls of the church. I hope you know that. I hope you've heard that time and time again here. Um, and one of the things we want to see inside the church and inside Trinity is a greater culture, a greater culture of the ministry of the power of the Spirit in every sphere of Trinity life. And if it's Coney Hill or if it's in the forest, I hope that might be your prayer as well, that you might want to see a greater culture of the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit in and where um, you are. We want to see a greater ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit in our youth work, in our kids' work, in our mercy ministries, um, here on Sundays, in our life groups, wherever they take place, in our accountability groups. We want to see a greater breaking in of the kingdom of God and God's presence in our midst. So we want to grow that culture. And these two evenings are intended um, to be a reminder for some, perhaps, or a refresher. Um, interestingly, we, we sent out the, the little survey. Thank you um, for the many of you that actually replied to that. I know some of you didn't get it today, um, the, the survey, because you, you only registered over the weekend. But for those that had registered before the weekend, we sent out a survey and 40 of you responded saying, um, saying that um, I think it was 50% said that you find it difficult to pray for people. So this is important, these evenings and these gatherings. You don't feel confident in praying for people in the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, this hopefully will um, give confidence, um, knowing ultimately that our confidence is in the Lord. Um, but for some of you, this might be a little bit of a refresher. You've, um, um, you've been around Trinity for, for, a, for a long time, and I'm so glad that you're here. Zoe and I are so glad that you're here, because we want to see a, an, a breaking out like we've never seen before of the Holy Spirit in the life and through this church into this town and beyond. Amen? Great. Good. So that's what, that's, that's what we're about. That's what we're doing. So let's dig in. Um, Open up the notes if you want to. Um, open up your Bibles. Um, first session, um, because I think it's essential that we understand what we mean by prayer ministry as we look at theology of ministry, and hopefully this will be helpful. And theology is basically our understanding of God. That's basically what theology is and what God teaches. What is our understanding of God when it comes to exercising the ministry of the Holy Spirit when we pray for people. That's specifically what we're looking at over these two evenings, the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit when we pray for people. But I think it's important 
Firstly, to clarify, what do we mean? What do I mean? What does Zoe and I mean? What do we mean in this church when we talk about prayer ministry? And the word minister, you'll know this, simply means to serve. It simply means to serve. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word um, that, that, that sort of outlines this is a meshereth. And Mike will correct me if I've not pronounced my Hebrew well, meshereth. And that, that word is used and it's applied to an, to an attendant um, of someone of superior rank. Someone who serves someone of a greater rank, as Joshua um, did to Moses. Joses, jo, uh, sorry, Joshua was a servant to Moses, who was someone of a greater rank in the people of God. You read about that in Exodus 33. And in the New Testament, the Greek word diakonos is used. And again, it usually refers to a subordinate officer or an assistant employed in relation to the ministry of the gospel. Paul was a servant of the gospel. T- T- I can never pronounce their name. Tychicus, Epaphras, Timothy, and even Jesus, a servant of of the gospel. All to say, when we're talking about prayer ministry, we're talking about prayer serving. That's as simple as I think it gets. We're talking about prayer serving, where we are attending to or assisting under God by serving each other, by praying for each other. And I think the important theological lesson here is that we always need to remember that it's under God and it's ultimately his work. It's under God and it's his work that we're seeking to serve. So when we have prayer ministry here at the front or if you have it in your, have it in your life groups, I hope and pray that, pray that you do, we are seeking to serve God by blessing other people. It's God's work. So let's just have a quick look at the biblical basis of what we're, what we're talking about and how we see this in the life of Jesus. If we're to open up our Bibles, um, so you might want to do that, and if we were to read through the Gospels, there's a pretty good chance that we'd run into something that Jesus called the kingdom of God. I hope if you've been around here a while, that is familiar language to you. The kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. And the kingdom was a big deal to Jesus. We need to know that. And i believe it should be a big deal um, to us as well. Wherever he went, he brought with him a new way of living life, of relating with God and connecting with other people. He brought with him the kingdom of God, where Jesus is king in his kingdom. Mark chapter 1. Verse 14 and 15, we'll have read this time and time again in in this church. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming what? The good news, the great news, the amazing news, the gospel of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And Jesus was very clear as he went on his ministry about his agenda, what his agenda was. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Here we have, just after Jesus' baptism, Jesus' manifesto. He lays out um, his agenda. 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Everyone praised Jesus. He went to Nazareth and where, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, the holy day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, Luke says. And he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we read in the rest of Luke's gospel, you know, what this looks like, what this manifesto of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, looks like. Here's a little bit of a snapshot, um, Luke 4, verse um, 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the, the, the Holy One of God. Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed, no surprise there, and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. It's important to know that impure spirits and the demonic activity, the demonic activity wasn't a surprise to people in the first century. I think so often, in our culture, it is a surprise to us. And we need to be aware that the enemy, the evil one, is prowling around like, like a roaring lion looking to devour. So we should be aware of the demonic. And I think um, you know, there are times in the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, and um, as someone who has led a number of Alpha courses here at Trinity, I've been here nearly 10 years, three a year, so roughly about um, 30, uh, well, it'll be 30 in the summer, so about tw 26, 27 Alpha courses here. There have been some w weekends away when there has been some very clear um, demonic activity, and the Lord has come in his power and his presence and in his love and brought healing and freedom from demonic activity. It's important to be aware of that. So all the people were amazed. Verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever and, let, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, laying his hands on each one of them. Here is Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, laying on hands for prayer, for healing. Why do we lay on hands when we pray here at Trinity? Because we see it in the life of Jesus, and it's biblical. That's why we lay on hands. And he healed them. Moreover, demons came out, many people shouting, you are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah, the anointed one from God, the Christ. 
At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must, I mean, hear the urgency in Jesus here. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. I wonder if we have that same sense of urgency of Jesus. I must proclaim the good news of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, do you have that same urgency of the gospel? Wherever you go tomorrow, I wonder will you have that same urgency as Jesus had? We need to pray for that. We need to pray for a release of that urgency. And verse 44, he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Jesus, oh, synagogues of Judea. So what does this tell us? Well, for three years of his ministry, Jesus did very little other than preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. He also prayed explained his teaching to his disciples and he prepared them to do what he did. And that is pretty much it. That, I mean, it sounds like a crude summary, but that is pretty much the life and ministry of Jesus. What did he do before this time? Well, apart from the remarkable events surrounding his birth, nothing of significance. He was a carpenter. He grew up with his parents and worked as a carpenter. And the action with which we're all familiar in the life and, and the ministry of Jesus, we, as we read it in the gospel accounts, happens at the beginning of his ministry after he's baptized. He's baptized after 30 years of largely unremarkable human existence. So what happened at his baptism I think is very important. And we'll come on to that in a moment. So what do we see when Jesus opens the door to this new way of life, of living in the kingdom of God? We see his extravagant and unconditional love. We see his extravagant and unconditional love, his heart for the poor, his heart for, for those who are marginalized, his heart for those who are in pain. And it's his and, and, and Jesus, out of the love of the Father, cannot but respond to the needs of the people around him. We see his passion for people. We see his dedication to living a holy life. And if we read even a tiny bit of the Gospels, we see him performing miracles and healings. Miracles and healings. That ought to be, in my view, a greater um, percentage of the Christian life to be seeing signs and wonders and miracles in our midst in and through the people of God. Um, in the handout, you'll see that there's a little bit of a summary of some of the signs and wonders, um, the miracles in the Gospels. It's just a, a bit of a summary. But what I find interesting about this is that pretty much, I don't know who did this statistic, but pretty much 25%, 25%, a quarter of the Gospels are Jesus healing and performing miracles. What would be the percentage of my life? What would be the percentage of your life? 
So here's a question, and I think this is a critical question. How did Jesus do what he did? How did Jesus do what he did? Well, many Christians assume that the answer is because he was the Son of God, which is a good answer. In my opinion, I just don't think it's the right answer because it fails to take seriously, and here's a theological word warning, kenosis. Look it up if you want to on Wikipedia. Of Jesus self-emptying. And that self-emptying must have been essential to his incarnation. Of God becoming man. When Jesus, the son of God, took flesh, he emptied himself of some aspects of divinity so that he could self-identify with humanity. So that Jesus could know and feel what we feel and what we experience. Jesus' self-identification with humanity. And he emptied himself of being everywhere at once. Jesus could not be everywhere at once. He didn't know everything. He grew in understanding, Luke 2 tells us. He was astonished in Matthew 8. Why was that? Because, you know, surely if... You know, is God astonished? Is the Father astonished by the things that we experience and we encounter? I don't think the Father is, but it seems here in the Gospels that Jesus was. You know, Jesus asked, how many loaves do, did, did um, the little boy have? Well, surely he knew he was the Son of God, didn't he? And, and at the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, did Jesus just say that for the audience that were there? No, I don't think so. I think he was experiencing the anguish of humanity because these are real questions that Jesus asked. He emptied himself in this way because these dimensions of divinity are incompatible with true humanity. They belong to what it means to be the creator as opposed to the created. And Jesus wanted to identify with us so far as he could having not been created. So if Jesus emptied himself, that's my kind of theological premise, if Jesus emptied himself to, um, of his divinity to identify with us in our humanity, how did he do what he did? Here's the good news. And here's where I also recommend John Peter's book again. I found this particularly helpful. And John, in his book... Um, the person, third person identifies three particular characteristics that we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And if we were to look at the baptism account, so turn over um, the page to Luke 3. And here we have the baptism of Jesus and the genealogy of Jesus. And then we see him being tempted in the desert. If you look at the, the parallel passages in Matthew 3 and, um, and Mark 1 of the Gospels and the accounts, there is um, at the beginning of Jesus', Jesus ministry, just after, he, just after he's declared the kingdom of God is at hand, he's led by the Spirit. And um, what we discover, and here, here's, here's what John would say, and, and I agree with him. And, you know, so how did Jesus do what he did? What he did? Firstly, he showed obedience to the Father. 
He showed obedience to the Father. Jesus' self-designation is son of man. Um, and it's an expression that he uses to emphasize the, the nature of the suffering servant. He is the obedient servant. In Matthew 20, we read this. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was under the authority of the Father. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 26, yet not my will, but yours be done. And numerous times, Jesus knows and does extraordinary things. And it's all in intimate relationship, intimate communion with the Father. Jesus says in John 5, by myself, I can do nothing. I can only do what I see the Father doing. I wonder if tomorrow morning, if you meet someone for coffee, I wonder if you might ask the question, Father, what are you doing? How might I bless this person? How might I speak the life of God into the, this person? Wouldn't that be a, an amazing thing to do tomorrow? I think there's about 90 to 100 of us here. What if 90 to 100 of us tomorrow just went out and the people that we met at work, we just, we just prayed, you know, probably under, under our breath, Father, what are you doing? Father, what do you want to see? Father, what can I call out in this person? Father, how can I bless this person? Only doing the things of the Father. Jesus didn't possess supernatural power independent of his Father. The power of the Lord was present to heal, um, Luke 5 tells us. Um, and that is in the context of prayer in communion with the Father. So for Jesus, intimate, prayerful communion with his Father was the way of life. Intimate, prayerful communion with the Father is the way of life for the follower of Jesus. And the direction is obedience. That when we hear the Father speak, we follow. We act on what he says. By the way, Jesus perfectly carried out the Father's will, not without, not without anguish but at the cross, did he not? So he showed obedience to the Father. Secondly, he experienced the love of his Father. Jesus knew the love of the Father. At his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do we know that we are loved children of the Father? Do we live each day in the light of the love that God has for us. I think Jesus was very dangerous to the kingdom of darkness because he unequivocally knew that he was loved by the Father. Jesus knew that he was loved. And evil has no answer to perfect love. I remember it's a few years ago, it's probably about 15 years ago, I was um, with, with Soul Survivor and we were doing a, a conference um, in, um, in another country, I won't name the country, because um, this has been recorded so people can, um, can watch it, but we were at, at an event of which Soul Survivor were, were a part of, and um, um, this man um, um, came forward for ministry, um, and he was part of the team, he was kind of a, a steward, I think, um, it was a youth conference, and this man came, came forward, and um, he asked us if we would pray for him. And I had a young guy with me who, I, who I'd been mentoring. Um, his name's James. He won't mind me telling you that. Um, and, um, and James and I looked at this guy and we just thought, ooh, there was something a little bit that we just thought, 
not sure about this. And this was like at 10 o'clock at night. So I said to, I said to this, this um, guy who, um, I mean, this is me being stereotypical, and so I'm sorry, was full of tattoos and had very, very black hair and black kind of like eyeshadow, you know, on his eyes. You get the kind of um, um, d the description of the, of the kind of gothic type person I was describing. And um, so I said, it's a little bit late now. Um, should we just go over and chat? So we went, to, we went and chatted with him. And, um, and um, it was very clear as he began to just share some of his life, all the kind of horrible things that, that had happened to him, which were just so, so tragic, and some of the stuff that he'd got into um, in terms of his life. Um, and it was very clear that there was, in my view, you didn't need much discernment to know that there was some darkness here, um, a lot of darkness. And, um, and so I said to him, um, I said, um, what, why don't you come and find us tomorrow morning and at the end of the worship, we'd love to pray for you. And if I'm honest, I was hoping that you wouldn't come and find us. I, I'm just being honest with you. And, and James was kind of like saying the same. He was, a, he, was, he was a young guy and he was kind of like hoping it would be the same. Um, but um, a morning session happened, we worshipped, we had some teaching from Mike and then a ministry came and this guy came front and center and said, would you pray for me? And um, so I said, yeah, yeah, of course. So um, I just invited him to close his eyes and hold out his hands. Just, and we just started to bless. And as, he, as, as we began to bless him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we just prayed for the love and the grace and the peace and the presence of God. He then sat down in a sort of Yoda position and um, put his hands on his kind of like el his elbows on his, on his knees um, and then sort of sat down in this posture. And we just thought, I'm bit odd, bit weird, so we just kind of got down. And then as we began to pr pray more of the presence of God, he just went, <laughs> and I just thought, this is going to get interesting. Um, and what I hadn't realized, and I was there with a team of, um, from, from Soul Survivor, that, was, that the host of the conference had invited someone um, who was known um, to this particular ministry, um, this this particular older chap who had um, a ministry of um, exorcism and um, dealing with the demonic. Um, apparently, it was his bread and butter. And so he came in and just immediately took over and then started to do, in my view, some rather interesting things. And this guy was sat down, if you remember me saying, and he just began to circle him with the blood of Jesus Christ and um, doing some rather interesting stuff, which I haven't seen in the Bible, but you know, I just thought, well, I'll, he's the local guy, I'll sit under his authority. And then um, uh, a dear friend and spiritual powerhouse, um, Jeannie Morgan, um, who's a soul survivor, she's probably um, one of the most powerful people I've seen exercising ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit when she individually prays for, prays for people. Um, she'd been asked to oversee the ministry and she came up to me and said, Gareth, what's going on? And so I explained and told her what had happened. And she said, no, 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 this, this is stopping right now. This is stopping right now. And this guy said, he said, this guy said to me, he said, what have you been praying? So I said, We've been praying for the love of Jesus to come. He said to me, he's not ready for the love of Jesus yet. And at that point, I just thought, you're out of here, mate. If you do not think that this person in whatever space of demonic activity and evil presence, he's not ready for the love of Jesus, then we read a very different Bible. And in fact, Jeannie just 
um, asked the man to leave, which he did. And then we prayed. And you will not believe, as we just graciously prayed for this man, that um, that some stuff began to be dealt with, that without, you know, you know, smokes and, you know, fireworks, the peace of God came as he was released from some stuff. Now, we then got him in touch with his local church and his church leader, and, and they continued to carry things on. And the reason for telling that story is that it's really important that when we pray for people, they experience the love of the Father. You cannot separate the power of God from the love of God. And you cannot separate the love of God from his power. They are intrinsically connected. You cannot separate them. Jesus knew and experienced the love of the Father. I wasn't going to tell you that story. That was one for free. How amazing is that? Second thing, John would say this, and I agree with him, is Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Without limit, in fact, in response to that long-cherished hope that one day God would put his Spirit on someone and would remain with him forever. You do know as a follower of Jesus, that you have God's Holy Spirit living in you and you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I think the question for all of us as followers of Jesus is how much do we allow God's Spirit to rule and reign and to have um, influence in our lives? So in Luke's account, and I um, just want us to look at this very quickly. Um, at his baptism, Jesus, um, after his baptism, Jesus begins his ministry. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Luke says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The question for, for me, I think, as a follower of Jesus is, am I continually being filled, Ephesians 5, 18, am I continually being filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit? And I think that's a question that we should all be asking ourselves on a daily basis. You know, one of the, one of the prayers I pray at the beginning of my day as I um, walk to work or, or, as I, or as I walk in and around my business in the life of the church is, Heavenly Father, please fill me with your spirit and help me to honor and glorify you today. That's one of my daily prayers. Heavenly Father, fill me with your spirit and help me to honor and glorify you today. I want to live my daily life filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was filled with the Spirit. I want to add one more to John's list of characteristics of Jesus' naturally supernatural ministry. And it's this. That I also believe that Jesus consecrated himself to the Father's purpose. He consecrated himself to the Father's purpose. He dedicated himself to the Father's purpose. Luke, Luke 4.1, we read that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Read this in Luke 4.14. Jesus returned to, the Galilee, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. Why does Luke make a point of recording that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit then after, his, after the, the temptations, he began his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamé. I think Luke wants to make a point. And the bit that sits in between of Jesus being led and full of the Holy Spirit and led into the Spirit is this temptation account where Jesus rebuffs the, the lies of the enemy to do with his sonship, to do with his authority, to do with his power. And he basically says, no, I am on my father's business. Away with you, the enemy, pretty much. This is me paraphrasing um, Luke's account. 
Jesus remains undaunted and dedicated to the Father's salvation mission. And Jesus wasn't going to be knocked off course, so he consecrated himself to the Father's purpose. So how did Jesus do what he did? He was obedient to the Father, he experienced and exercised love, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he consecrated himself to the Father's purpose. And my prayer is that we would do the same. That we would do the same as Jesus. I mean, that's being a follower of Jesus is being a follower, isn't it? Is it not? Doing the kinds of things that Jesus said and did. His few final thoughts, and then we're going to break for coffee. So Jesus brought with him this new kingdom, this new way of living in relationship with with the Father, and his miracles and his signs and his wonders and his healing and the proclamation of the good news, evangelism, telling of the good news, were all a part of this new kingdom. God was doing something exciting new, and I truly believe that God is still doing things exciting and new in the life of this church, in the life of many churches, um, in and around this nation and the nations. But I wonder if there can be the more. I truly believe there's the more that God wants to do. Here's why. Matthew 9, verse 35, we read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can I try and say this as one of the pastors in this church in the most loving way and forgive me and have some grace for me if I, if, I, if I get this wrong. It pains me when family members come here to the front to be prayed for and very few people in our current setting come forward to pray for people. And often... Someone like me has to invite people to come and pray for people. The workers are few. The harvest is right. Beyond, obviously, the mandate of the kingdom advancing beyond the church, but even inside the church, there seems to be a reluctance to pray for people. And what would this church be like if over the next four weeks... All of us here over these next two weeks, we made a priority of, do you know what? I'm not going to leave Trinity on Sunday after, after we've had the worship and teaching until I've prayed for someone. What would it look like? What would be the, the transformation in the life of this church if that was the case? Wouldn't that be great? The workers are few. The harvest is ripe. The harvest needs harvesting. And the harvesting needs harvesters. Final thing from me. As his faithful followers, we want to take part in all that the kingdom of God has to offer in our midst. The acts of love, words of truth, the passion and service for the poor, the life of holiness, and the ministry of power. Paul put it this way, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And may that be one of the things that marks out his church. May that that be one of the things that marks out this church. Amen? Great.
We're going to break for coffee. We're going to break for 10 minutes. We will be back at 8.15.